Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Well, good morning and welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan. Um, exciting day today because not only do we have to come together to worship, uh, to pour over the word, and later on we get to forgive everybody of everything they've ever done to us, which is all our favorite thing, but we also get to dedicate one little baby Theo Blommel. Give him a little round of applause. You okay, bud? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you... <laughs> um, did you hear, was the Lion King music playing when you came down the, the, the hallway today? It was for me. Like, I'm like, there's a tortoise, science center. Um, so what is baby dedication? You know, in different, uh, in different uh, house, you know, rooms within the Christian household, there's different ways of how we approach the Christian life. Um, and a lot of times there's some sort of symbol at the beginning of someone's life um, that's uh, us marking them out for a journey with Jesus. Now, some of you were probably infant baptized. Anybody here belong to a tradition where there's infant baptism? Well, you're all going to hell because it doesn't count. <laughs> Just kidding, that was me. Um, and in others, there would be baby dedication or christening. Was anybody here dedicated as a child, right? And then when you're a little bit older, baptism is you taking upon yourself those promises, those vows. And that's essentially what we're doing today is um, what's going to happen is that Sam and Kristen uh, and this is Brian, who's the godfather, godmother, unfortunately she couldn't be here today. Um, they're taking upon themselves these vows, these promises on behalf of Theo. Um, and they're, they're promising to raise him up in the Christian life, to know Jesus, to enter into living relationship with Jesus. Um, and we're all going to promise that we're going to hold them accountable to do that. And that's Brian's job especially. He, as, as the godfather, he's like the go-between the, the child and the parent. Um, and we're going we're gonna to raise Theo up until he comes to a point where he can kind of take on those promises to himself. And so I'm going to begin with a prayer and then a scripture that kind of helps center on what we're doing, and then we'll do the presentation. So if you'll pray with me. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you've blessed us with the joy and care of children. Give us calm strength and patient wisdom as we bring them up, that we may teach them to love whatever is just and true and good following the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the scripture is from Mark chapter 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. I love in the King James, Jesus says, suffer the little children unto me. I like that phrasing. I also like that every sentence in the King James starts with and, which we learned is like a big no-no, but apparently it was in the 1600s. But I love that idea. You know, we have these value systems of, of who we think is important and who deserves a seat at the table and who's not very valuable. And, you know, we talk a lot about that in our community as we're watching how Jesus is interacting with all these people that aren't supposed to be worth very much. And in, in Jesus' day, children were seen as little more than property. They're kind of like human beings in waiting 
eventually they'll become valuable because they'll be good contributors to society. They, you know, they'll start businesses and they'll consume and they'll just perform like the rest of us. And so children aren't very useful. That's kind of what happens within our society. And so the disciples, like even sometimes many of us, they're like, oh, that, that's, a, that's an inconvenience. We're getting in the way of the real kingdom work of what Jesus is trying to do. And I love that in the King James, what Jesus is saying to the disciples is what he's saying to all of us. No, 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 suffer the little children unto me. Suffer the fact that they might be able to enter into this new kingdom reality a little bit easier than you because they haven't taken upon themselves all these false messages of how we value people and who's important and, and what you need to do in order to earn your worth. Children are just present and open and available. And what we have today is a unique opportunity with Theo to raise him that he might never have to know the scars and the wounds that so many of us have received from the brokenness of the world. That he could grow up knowing his inherent worth and value to God and therefore his inherent worth and value to us. And that's the beautiful thing that we get to enter into with a promise today. And so we're going we're gonna to enter into the presentation so you can respond, we do. Who presents this child to be dedicated? We respond with, I will with God's help. Will you be responsible for seeing that the child you present is brought up in the Christian faith and life? I will with God's help. Will you, by your prayers and witness, help this child to grow in the full stature of Christ? I will with God's help. And now you're going to take kind of three renunciations. We talk about kind of the unholy trinity, the flesh, the enemy, and the world. And so part of many of you for your baptism or maybe your dedication was we're renouncing the unholy trinity, but then we're taking upon ourselves um, the goodness of Jesus' kingdom. So you're going to respond with, I renounce them on his behalf. Do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? I renounce them. Do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? I renounce them. Do you renounce all sinful desires that draw you from the love of God? I renounce them. And then the, the three that you're taking upon, you're saying, I do. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your savior? I do. Do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? I do. Do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? I do. And now I'm going to turn to you, and I'm going to ask you to make covenant with the Blommels. Will you do all you can to support this family in their desire to raise this child into the body of Christ? Yeah. Will you stand up for truth, protect this child, encourage and bless him as he grows in this church? So now, I'm going to take him, little guy. There you go. Do you like this? How's that? You can always poop. They love you. Eternal Father, whose blessed Son was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the Savior and servant of all, we pray you consecrate this oil that those who are sealed with it may share in the royal priesthood of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. So Torin Theodore the Fourth Blommel, I dedicate you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May this be a seal on your life from this day forward, that you are chosen and that you are his. Amen. I'll give a little bit of a round of applause for the Blommel. There you go. He's good. He's good. And as a little gift to the Blommels, um, we got Theo. This book, some of you might be familiar with, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is the best children's book, best children's Bible on the market. 
And the brilliance of it is that the writer, Sally Lloyd-Jones, takes each of these biblical stories and keeps showing how they continually point towards Jesus. Like even in the Old Testament, saying these are all foreshadowing of what's to come in Jesus, and it's really wonderful. If you have kids in your life, get them this Bible. But this is uh, that I, he can't even speak English yet, but eventually he'll read it. He can read it? Okay, great. So Theo, that's yours. Um, so thanks very much, guys. God bless. So we're continuing in our series called, And the Thing After That. We're looking at how virtue is often the conversation that seems to be missing, not just within our society at large, but within the church itself, that we're so obsessed with behavior modification, we're so obsessed with performance mentality, that we don't pause to ask the questions, not only is it, how am I supposed to behave, what am I supposed to do in order to follow Jesus, but who am I called to be? And am I opening up my life to allow the spirit of Jesus to move in me, to transform me over time? And so whether you know, we're being dedicated as babies, whether we came to the Lord later in life through baptism, there's this, there's this period between our baptism and our burial that many of us don't know what to do. It's kind of like we're just here twiddling our thumbs until we die. Like that's kind of what Christianity is. Like avoid things, uh, don't look at pornography, and then you die. And then you get to go to heaven. And that's kind of Christianity. But there's this wild adventure with the Holy Spirit from the moment of our baptism through this mortal life where day by day as we're giving ourselves over to King Jesus, as we're pledging our allegiance to him, he's doing something in us and he's transforming us a little bit more day by day. And that transformation is what we call virtue. And we've talked about how a lot of times um, in, our, in our modern society, it feels like there's a, there's a raining down of judgment, that far from being an amoral society, we actually live in a hypermoral society, whether that's in the church or whether that's in our culture. And this, a lot of this uh, preparation for me for this series came out of this quote that I read from Alan Jacobs, who's a professor at Baylor University. He said, when a society rejects the Christian account of who we are, it doesn't become less moralistic, but far more so because it retains an inchoate sense of justice but has no means of offering and receiving forgiveness. The great moral crisis of our time is not, as many of my fellow Christians believe, sexual licentiousness, but rather vindictiveness. Social media serve as crack for moralists. There's no high like the high you get from punishing malefactors. But like every addiction, this one suffers from the absorbable law of diminishing returns. The mania for punishment will therefore get worse before it gets better. Yeesh. What does all that mean? I believe deep within the human soul is this deep cry for justice, right? We all know, we walk out day by day, and we say, this isn't the way that things are supposed to be. That there's a better world that's possible. And I think that that's written into the human DNA. And indeed, I think that's actually one of the signposts that points us to God because God is the one who says, yes, actually there is a thing called justice. There is a better world that's possible and I have a vision of how to get us there. But oftentimes we take that upon ourselves and we try to make the world more just based on our own standards. And so often what happens when we are so geared towards the desire, the good and honest and blessed desire for justice, 
when we take it upon ourselves, we start doling out who we think is worthy and who's unworthy, who's, who's missed the mark, who's in line. And we begin to draw these kinds of lines in the sands and we enter into that hyper-moral um, posture where we're judging everybody else for what they're doing and then justice looks a lot more like vengeance and vindictiveness where we want to tear people down. We want to dehumanize people in order to find what's just. And so often what happens in terms of lifting certain people up is that we have to tear other people down. And I think one of the major pieces that's missing from our national conversation is the place of forgiveness. And I think it's actually a very uniquely Christian contribution if we can reclaim this, because let's be honest, we're not particularly good at it either. But if we can reclaim the virtue of forgiveness, that perhaps we can offer that to the larger conversation in our society about virtue and about morality and ethics and what does it look like to be human beings that are in process. So I'm going to pray uh, and we're going to enter into the scripture. So Father, um, I thank you so much for this time and this place, Lord. I just love sitting in the front and, and hearing everybody sing together with one voice that we're proclaiming your goodness and that something's happening here, Lord, where we're all being bound together more and more uh, day by day and week in, week out, as we come to this place that we worship you and we engage with one another, we pray for one another. And Lord, I pray that that bond would become stronger um, as we continue on this journey. Lord, I know that there's a lot of hurt within this room from people that might be sitting across the aisle or right next to us. And maybe we don't know what to do with that hurt or that disappointment. But God, you do. You're the one who created us with this desire to see justice come to earth. You created us with this, uh, this discontent within us to know this isn't the way that things are supposed to be and that a better world is possible. But God, teach us day by day how to remain humble and to, how to lay down before you our vision of justice so that we can take up your vision. Teach us how to forgive even as we are forgiven. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So the passage we're going to be looking at today, an intensely familiar one, in Matthew chapter 6. So this is kind of the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which we did at the beginning of the year in the Kingdom Manifesto series, saying like, this is Jesus' manifesto for what kingdom living looks like. And this is very familiar, called the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Beginning in chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, how many of you, it's like those last two verses, you're like, uh, wait, what? Um, can we talk about this, Yahweh? Because that's like, so if I don't forgive other people, you're not going to forgive me. And it's interesting because I don't, I don't know if I've ever really thought about the Lord's Prayer in this way, even though I've been praying it my whole life, that it really is a, a prayer of justice. We begin by seeing the, the holiness of God, the worthiness of who God is to kind of form and shape 
not just creation, but history as well. But then it goes on, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that's us abdicating our assumptions of what we think justice looks like or how we think the world should run and saying, actually, we need a heavenly reign. We need, we need a new king that kind of transcends all of this mess because we've made a big mess of things. We need a new vision to come from heaven to earth to rearrange, to recalibrate, to recenter us on what actually matters and what it means to be a human being. And then we go on to say, give us our daily bread, that we are, the, the provisions that we receive are enough for us today to remain humble, to stay in the God's presence, and to continue to follow him day by day. <coughs> Excuse me. And then it goes on to say, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And there's a lot of translation uh, uh, debate about which bit comes first there. Is it even as or, you know, so that we can? But it makes it pretty apparent in those last couple of verses that there's, there's a relationship between the way that we receive the forgiveness from God for our sins, but that we also offer that to those who have sinned against us. And so what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a virtue that enables us to continuously release others and therefore ourselves from the disappointments of the past. We've talked a lot about disappointment over the past year. Like I want a capital D disappointment every time I see it because I think it's an emotion that we tend to uh, negate. It's like, well, it's not abuse and it's not neglect. It's just I was just disappointed. But I think actually we probably carry a lot of disappointment within us that things didn't turn out the way that we thought that they were going to or things don't look the way that they're supposed to. Those are all disappointments. And they're actually quite profound because we are stuck between these two worlds of what is and what should be. And I think that that's what turns us in on ourselves and therefore begins to turn us against other people. They actually turn other people into our enemies because they did not fulfill what we needed them to fulfill. They, they didn't fill these roles for us. They didn't behave appropriately. They didn't order the world that we think that they should. And that's the place where our, our desire for justice kind of gets uh, mutated and becomes this place of vindictiveness. And before long, the people that have disappointed us become obstacles that we have to overcome and not human beings. And I think what's so radical about the nature of forgiveness when we look at it in the context of what we believe about the God that's revealed to us in Jesus is that forgiveness at its core believes these, there are these certain fundamental truths about what it means to be a human being. First of all, I think forgiveness chooses to believe at the core of every human being there is the image of Godness. Okay? Your image, like being made in the image of God isn't something that you've earned at some point later in your life. It's not something that you've achieved. It's not something that's exclusive to Americans or to men or to rich people or to straight people or whatever it is, whatever category that we say, they're a bit more in the image of God than those people. No, what we believe, one of the fundamental truths of Christianity is that all human beings are made in God's image. And so that precludes the fact that we have an inherent worth and value. That we do not have value in the eyes of God because we've got it right. We have value in the eyes of God because God has decided that we have value because we're his children. And the second thing I think that the virtue of forgiveness teaches us is that as human beings, we have the capacity to grow and to change. 
that we're all in process. We're all working it out. I think if any of us think that we've arrived, that's the moment we kind of lost it. And what I often like to think of that what forgiveness means, <coughs> excuse me, it's almost like we tie a rope around someone's waist and then we take a big stake and we just hammer it into a moment in the timeline and you say, I am judging you for what you did to me at that moment in the timeline. And you're not allowed to move any farther forward than that. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I was sick this week, not COVID. <laughs> Took the test, came back negative. Looks a lot like a pregnancy test. I'm also not pregnant, so, you know, hallelujah. What if I wanted to have kids, Kaylee? <laughs> but what happens um, so often when we're disappointed is like we hammer this stake into the ground at this moment in the timeline and we tie a rope around someone's waist and we say, you're not allowed to move any farther than this point in time. And one of the hardest things I think for us to accept is that we cannot change the past. As many of us want to, and we, we, we kind of go back over conversations and events, and, and we're, we pray, we're asking God to change this thing that happened to me, or change that thing that that person did to me, and it won't happen. It's not going to happen. You can't change the past. But we still insist on holding people at a certain point. But what happens secondarily is not only are we holding that person to this point in the past so that they can't grow and they can't move and they can't progress, but we also do that to ourselves. We tie ourselves to those moments and we allow those moments to define who we are. And so we inhibit our own process. Not only do we not allow other people the fact that they're human beings, prone to making mistakes, prone to learning and growing, but we also deny ourselves that. And there's one really particularly powerful story that I found that I think takes this idea of forgiveness, and, and, and it's so helpful when we can look in the most radical, dire situations where forgiveness uh, triumphs, and then we kind of work it back into our own lives. I think it really helps us um, to understand just exactly what it is that God is calling us to. So many of you will remember this. This was uh, many years ago. I think it was 2006. Um, there, was a, there was a man in his early 30s in um, South Central Pennsylvania, went to a, a small schoolhouse, an Amish schoolhouse, a, little, a bunch of little girls. Um, some got escaped, and then he lined up all these little girls, and he shot them. And he, he murdered six little girls. He wounded five others, and then he shot himself. Do you remember, remember the story? It was, it was devastating. I mean, you know, like the, many of you will be familiar with the Amish, the kind of you know, they keep to themselves, they live a very simple life, a very intentional life of following Jesus, and this was just this radical, just atrocity. Um, and I wanted to play this little clip uh, from, an, um, from the news that kind of talks about uh, what happened in the immediate aftermath of this tragedy. So we'll see if this video works. As the nation marks the anniversary this week of the Newtown, Connecticut school shooting, families of some of the 26 who were killed attended a vigil today at the National Cathedral in Washington. Prayers were offered for all of the victims of gun violence in this country, and that would include the five young Amish girls who were killed and five who were wounded just a few years ago in South Central Pennsylvania. Jeff Lord tells us that out of the horror of that school shooting has come a lesson in forgiveness. I mean, 
It's been seven years since Terry Roberts' life changed forever. In October 2006, her 32-year-old son Charlie walked into an Amish school in Lancaster County and shot 10 young girls before killing himself. I heard the sirens and saw helicopters. Then the phone was ringing and it was my husband. And he said, I need you to come to Charlie's house right away. And I got out of the car and I looked at my husband and these sunken eyes just saying, it was Charlie. It could not be. And yet it truly was, it was true, it was our son. Robert's initial reaction was that she had to move away. But the Amish came to her house the night of the shooting to say they wanted her to stay. Some of the victim's families attended her son's funeral. There are not words to describe how that made us feel that day. And then for the mother and father that had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Wow, is there anything in this life we shouldn't forgive? Terry Roberts now shares this message with those who've experienced trauma. And every Thursday, she cares for the most seriously wounded survivor of the shooting now 13. It's against Amish beliefs to appear on camera, so Donald Craighill often speaks on their behalf. You have this mother who raised a son that did this horrific damage to this young woman, and the mother has the courage and the spiritual fortitude to come back and to care for this uh, young woman, and the parents of the young woman welcome her into their home. It's a powerful, powerful story. Those families in Newtown who may still have understandably conflicted feelings now still less than a year later. What do you what do you say to them? Ask God to provide new things in your lives, new things to focus on, and that doesn't take the place of what is lost. But it can give us a hope and a future. A future made possible for Terry Roberts because of forgiveness. Jeff Glor, CBS News, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. One of the fathers who lost a daughter in that tragedy said forgiveness means giving up the right to revenge. Forgiveness means giving up the right to revenge. You see, for the Amish, Nonviolence is central to their ethic. And they believe that peaceableness is kind of our central positioning in the world as Jesus followers. And I think we have a lot to learn from the Amish in this regard, because if we're honest, in many uh, branches of Christendom within our own culture, peaceableness seems like maybe the first thing that we try until it's inconvenient, and then we'll go to plan B which is violence. And maybe it's not literal violence, but maybe it is. Maybe it's taking up guns. Or maybe it's beating up people. Maybe it's our words. Maybe it's unforgiveness and bitterness. But I think what, what I recognize and what I bless in the Amish, what's an inspiration to me is to recognize, well, forgiveness is living the peaceableness of the kingdom. It's choosing to live the nonviolent way of Jesus. And I think forgiveness is a virtue because we make a conscious decision 
to forgive, especially when it's hard. And then we deal with the emotional fallout. You see, we're raised in this sentimental society where we're guided by our feelings. And so what happens with forgiveness is once I work through all my feelings, then I'm going to be able to forgive you. But because so many of us don't know how to do that work, the feelings sit there and they stew and it, unforgiveness leads to bitterness. And we won't enter into conflict with people. We won't do resolution or whatever it is until we work through our feelings because we think that our feelings dominate, our feelings are truth. And what we've talked about so often here, your feelings are not truth. Your feelings are information that's waiting to be read that can lead you to the truth. Whatever you feel is not true, but it is information. So I think it's important that we pause and just recognize as, as we continue on, what is forgiveness not? Forgiveness is not, number one, minimizing or forgetting what was done to us. You know, we often hear, forgive and forget. Um, and that's not biblical. It's also not possible. And it also doesn't mean minimizing what happened to us. Forgiveness does not say, oh, it's okay that you said this thing or that you did that thing. It's okay. It's fine. That's not forgiveness. Because what that does is that it actually does violence to our own stories. Dan Allender says, you know, we have to have this intersection of, of, of honor and honesty. And any kind of honor that requires that we're not truly honest is not biblical honor. And we don't honor our stories if we're not honest with how profoundly or deeply someone has hurt us or disappointed us or whatever it might be. And so any time that you're entering into the process of forgiveness where you have to minimize your, what has said, been said and done. That is not true forgiveness. Number two, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Reconciliation is a possibility on the other side of forgiveness. But just because you have forgiven someone doesn't mean that you're to enter into relationship with them. Maybe God will call you to reconcile. and to, I love the word reconciliation. It means to be made friends again. And maybe that is what God is calling you to, but it may not be in your best interest to reconcile. You might have to shake the dust off your feet and move on, as it says in Scripture. It may not be safe for you to be in relationship with someone again. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we continue to let people walk all over us over and over and over again if it's at the expense of our own well-being. Forgiveness is not the same thing as justice, kind of in a similar fashion to reconciliation. Just because someone has been forgiven does not mean that there are not consequences for their actions. And so forgiveness doesn't mean all of a sudden somebody's off the hook, but that they might have to make events. Now, you know, everybody here should go and research prison reform, and there's a lot of really interesting conversations about how we need our entire society to move away from retributive justice to, to um, reconciliation and restorative justice. Because I think that's actually biblical justice. I think God is in the process of restoration, not retribution. But justice has to look like someone actually taking upon themselves the consequences of what they've done and working through that to be made whole again. Forgiveness is not only given when it's asked for. Sometimes we sit and we wait for people to come and to ask forgiveness because now we have the power. And any time that you enter in 
to reconciliation or the process of forgiveness where you have power over somebody because you're the one that's like holding your forgiveness chips really close and waiting until they ask for it, it's probably not true, true forgiveness because you're not really releasing them. You're just kind of controlling them with new methods. And so it's important that we forgive people even when they don't ask, perhaps especially if they don't ask, depending on what the relationship and the brokenness is there. But I think it's, it's imperative that we recognize that our world is tar- tearing itself apart through violence. Whether it's the violence that we see in Afghanistan, whether it's the consistent mass shootings that we've all become completely numb to, whether it's what we're seeing happen in Haiti, a country that's been torn apart by poverty. Poverty is a form of economic violence. And we're not taking care of people. And so then when hurricanes happen, when tornadoes happen, when earthquakes, whatever it might be, this is what happens. The world is tearing itself apart through violence. And the only way that we know how to respond to violence is with more violence. Because at the end of the day, we believe God enters in like that. Like we're vengeful because we think God is vengeful. Like God's going to fix the world just because he brings a bigger stick, right? Like God was so fed up with the world that he sent his only begotten son in with an AK-47. And that was going to fix the world. But when I read the story of Jesus and we say Jesus is the best thing that God has ever had to say, like there's no better image of what God is truly like than Jesus, and specifically Jesus on the cross, the God who lost, the God of powerlessness. And we see all these people mocking Jesus, betraying Jesus, saying, no, no, we'll take Caesar. Caesar's our guy. Jesus, we don't want Jesus. We want Caesar. And Jesus on the cross says, Father, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's the heart of God. That's the God that we worship. And I think it's that kind of radical forgiveness we begin to recognize, oh, this is the way that God plans to bring healing for the whole world. Father God, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. It's important that we recognize what's happening on the cross is not God needed some sort of blood payment. God's angry at us. God wants to forgive us, but we have to give him something in exchange. Like if we pay God enough, then he'll forgive us. God didn't need any kind of payment. God can just forgive because God is God. Isn't that good news? That God forgave your sins just because he wants to forgive your sins. He doesn't require anything of you for that. He said, no, all payment has been taken. It's done. It's over. The cross is what happens when we send our sins into Jesus. And he takes upon himself the vengeance and the violence of the world as we try to enact justice, as we try to bring order, as we try to find our own power. Jesus absorbs all of that into his body and he puts that to death. And then when he's raised again, he's raised into a new world where no longer is violence and power at the center of human understanding, but now forgiveness as love is the central tenet of our faith, of the the world that God is remaking. Love expressed as forgiveness. So then that brings us to those last little verses, those very confusing verses that we have there at the end of the Lord's Prayer. 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What's happening there? If we do not forgive others, we cannot create space in our hearts to be forgiven. I think that's what's really happening here. If we don't forgive other people, we can't create space in our own hearts to be forgiven. Because we're mortal vessels, we're limited in our capacity, our hearts can only handle so much. And if our hearts are full of unforgiveness, we're carrying all these disappointments from the past where we're binding people in our lives to these moments in the timeline and saying, you're not allowed to move past that moment of disappointment. Well, how can I possibly, in my limited vessel, have any space to receive the forgiveness, forgiveness of God? And over time, that unforgiveness turns into bitterness. And we become enslaved to the things that people have said to us and done to us in the past. We become enslaved to the things that we've done. How many times are we unforgiving of ourselves for things that God has already forgiven us for? I think you're probably a lot harder on yourself than God is on you. Amen? Like you are harder on yourself than God is. And it breaks his heart to see how cruel you are to yourself and how unforgiving you are to yourself. And that's slavery. That's hell. I think unforgiveness is hell on earth. That we trap ourselves in these moments and we build these walls around us and our hearts become stuffed with this evil so we cannot receive the forgiveness of God. So we're going to enter into a time of meditation, of kind of putting this to practice, of slowing down. So I always joke, like, if we ever rebrand the church, it's going to be Slow Down Church. That's going to be the name of this church. Slow down. Descend. Stop. Breathe. I don't know if that will fit on a business card, but... Um, I want you to take out your phones. I want you, you can open a new note. Maybe you need to bring up the note from last week when we talked about patience. I'm just going to give you the time and the space to work through this with the Holy Spirit. There's going to be three questions. And I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to kind of let you uh, engage with God on whatever level you need to. And the three questions are this. Number one, who do I need to forgive for past mistakes? Like, allow the Lord to bring to mind some names, some faces, people that you're holding on to what they did to you back then, and you're still living out of that bitterness. Number two, how can I demonstrate forgiveness to them beyond words? These Amish families, the day of this murder, went to this guy's mother's house and sat with her. That day, they forgave that day and they made food for her and half the people that were at his funeral were the victim's families. The Amish went to the funeral. So forgiveness isn't merely words we just say, oh, I forgive you. Like, how are you going to demonstrate forgiveness? And then finally, what is one area in which I need to forgive myself? What am I holding myself to that I've done in the past? That perhaps God has already forgiven me but I haven't forgiven myself. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you a few minutes just to do some work with the Lord. So Father, we thank you that on the cross, 
we see your forgiveness on display. You forgive us because we do not know what we're doing. In our desire for justice, we become vengeful and we become violent. But rather than striking back, you opened yourself to us and you allowed us to do our worst to you. And you said, forgive you, forgive us. And so Holy Spirit, I pray in this moment, would you alight upon each of your dear ones here this morning? Would you open our hearts to show us places of unforgiveness or bitterness that we have there for things that people have done to us or said to us in the past? Lord, maybe there's a lot of feelings that come up in that. Lord, would you bless those feelings and help us to to read those feelings, to befriend those feelings because they're trying to tell us something. But would you take us by the hand and walk us through those feelings so that we can get to the core of what's happening? Just take some time and just pray with the Lord.
Nicole just very wonderfully pointed out that especially with that second question about what is what does it look like to practice forgiveness, actually do something with it, that the realm of our imagination to be able to do that, like with, if you feel like the Lord's giving you an image or showing you something, like to hold on to that as like a precious insight from Him of what it looks like to live out forgiveness. And so in a moment, we're going to continue on with musical worship, but if you feel like you need to kind of still sit and do some work with the Lord, uh, by all means do so. It's a mystery, but it's a beautiful one that we're asked to continually confess our sins, uh, to ask for forgiveness, even as it is freely given, uh, but to also ask the Lord's help for us to be able to forgive other people so that we can open ourselves up and create some space for us to receive the forgiveness that we so desperately need. So I invite all of you to stand, and together we're going to pray uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I want you, as we're praying it, to think of it as a prayer of justice, to say, yeah, Lord, the, the world is not the way that it's supposed to be. My life doesn't look the way it's supposed to be. But rather than me trying to fix it or to, to solve it or to, to, to wrestle it into submission to my needs, I want to see heaven come to earth. I want to see your vision and your rule come and reorder the world. And that part of that is that I need to start forgiving people in my life who have disappointed and hurt me so that I can receive that forgiveness and I can move on. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.